Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This program is all about our state's largest industry. That's agriculture. On last week's program, I said the statewide temperatures would stay under 90 degrees until we rolled into fall. Uh, by the way, that's less than two weeks, but I was wrong. Rather hot last week, wasn't it? But this week, I'm sure, under 90 degrees from here until fall. Are your mother's homemade pickles the best you've ever tasted? Or does Uncle Jason have a secret rub for his ribs? Or how about a good friend that has the master baker for cheese straws? Well, you'll want to stay tuned to today's program after the Ag Headlines as we chat with Patrick Ford of Ford's Gourmet Foods in Raleigh. You might know the family better by Uncle Phil's rib and chicken sauce. Now, I'm not going to tell you. We'll call that a tease. Now, if you're getting out of the truck right now and you miss what the name of the sauce is, well, you can always subscribe to our Apple or Spotify version of the program and catch up with me later. Or download the IBX Media app. Then you'll be able to get all of the podcasts from IBX Media. We'll catch up with Jeff Turner, my co-host, right after I thank the sponsors of the show. Ag and NC is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Let's tune in and turn on Ag and NC's Duplin Studios. Jeff Turner is the COO of Murphy Family Ventures, member of the North Carolina Board of Ag, and co-host of this here program. Jeff, how's the world in D.C.? It's hot and dry in D.C. Last program, I mentioned that I think we were done with the 90s, and I couldn't have been more wrong. Weatherman an economist of which you're neither. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true. And, you know, I guess my prayers were answered. couple of notes in the headlines going on. U.S. House Agricultural Labor Working Group. If you remember, that's that committee that was put together. North Carolina Representative Don Davis and David Rouser are both on that. They've created a web page for surveys of farmers, specifically asking North Carolina farmers to be part of it. This is on the ag workforce issues. Go to agriculture.house.gov and take part in the survey. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to do that. These these guys need to hear from you, and they need the real story of what's going on on the ground and what the needs are. And the only way to get that to them is to get on that website and comment. That's one of the easier ways. To, at least it's on the record at that point. And I, I would encourage you to do that. I just hope once they get their comments, we don't decide to study it for the next 12 years. <laughs> Typical. But I will say, I mean, the positive here, this committee is not huge, and we have two representatives on either side of the uh, divisional party wall, uh, but both from eastern North Carolina. Yep. And very good folks. Don and David, both are they're, they're good good people. When adjusted for inflation, net farm income, a broad measure of the farm profit, uh, profitability, expected decrease about uh, 25% in 2023. 2022 is a really good year. Yeah, if you go back and look at uh, how 22 worked out, it was actually a, a very large increase over 21 come out of the pandemic and that sort of thing. Again, it's profitability and commodity prices on the rise. And at the same time, you had some lowering of, um, of pricing for fertilizer and fuel and that sort of thing. It, it helped. 22% above the 20-year average. But as we look ahead into the upcoming year, Forecast from the USDA says two factors, lower governmental payments, which, by the way, compared to 22, expected to be down 19% lower, and higher production costs expected to be up about 7%, which is dealing with inflation. Cash receipts for the sale of agricultural commodities forecast to decrease by a little over 4% from a record high last year of 
$536.6 billion. The economists say that the commodity reset similar to that back in 2013. There's some added volatility with, I love this line, black swan events to make risk management more important. There's always the potential for the black swan event. (laughs) Whether it's something worldwide or if it's something that's going to happen locally, you always have to figure out how you're going to manage your risk. Two of your favorite people, well, 50-50. Politico Hmm. reported a couple of programs set to expire with the 2018 Farm Bill that would be included in the continuing resolution uh, when the government runs out of money September 30th. I think that... uh, Senator Stabenow and Bozeman believe that not a lot's going to happen until we get past that mark. According to Senator John Bozeman, ranking member of the Senate Ag Committee, mentioned that most items are financially secure until January, but emphasized the importance of addressing some orphan programs that were part of the Farm Bill that are set to expire. And as we heard a couple weeks ago from Jim Wiesmeyer, for the most part, we're in fine shape when uh, the, the government budget expires, but there are a couple of things that need to be taken care of. It's kind of hurry up and wait and and that's what's going on here is hurry up and wait is the best way to describe it i wish people paid attention to dates and times and the continuing resolution they're talking about for a short term why do we continue to put off the inevitable why not go ahead and deal with it and move on and when we don't just it costs us more money in the interim and they were talking about the the this like 11 billion dollars or something that i mean just literally when they run out of a budget and we're basically spiraling until they come up with something the unknown, the uncertainty, whether it's the stock market or business in general, people are just kind of sitting there in a holding pattern. I was struck by this article in the last week. Tyson Foods teaming up with a company called Gitech AI on a multi-year collaboration for autonomous self-driving refrigerated box trucks, basically delivering, uh, these are short day runs for Tyson Foods, Jimmy Dean sausages, ballpark franks, that sort of thing. And the facilities in Rogers and Springdale, Arkansas, they're, they're, they're uh, Ford Transit vans with refrigerated boxes on it. Uh, for the beginning of this whole program, they will have a, I'm not going to call them a driver, but a monitor, just another step in automated driving. Slowly beginning to be embraced, and it's driven by the lack of people to... Truck drivers. you, you got to get from point A to point B somehow. I still question safety and reliability and all those sorts of things, but... There have been a number of taxis that have been introduced in North Carolina. and Yeah, recently uh, in Raleigh, I heard. Uh, and Charlotte. I, I don't plan to, to get on one of them. I, I'm sorry. I'd rather walk. <laughs> Given mm, certain age Americans who are learning to drive and the ability to text at the same time, sometimes I think the AI might be a little bit safer. It, it may be. It may be. Uh, when you all get together for a great pork barbecue or you're doing ribs, What's your topping of choice, Jeff? Uh, Jeff Turner's pig sauce. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> Are you serious about that? Well, certainly. Well, let's get together and let's form a little Jeff Turner's pig sauce company and we get this thing on the shelf. Sounds good to me. Well, but fu- I got to tell you, uh-huh. there are a lot of good ones. So I'm not sure there's wait, enough room on the shelf. Wait, 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 wait. If my business partner says there's others that are good, I just don't feel like you're all in on this, Jeff. Well, I'm, I'm all in, however. <laughs> you have to recognize that the competition is stiff. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk with Patrick Ford, Carolina favorite bone-sucking sauce. That's next. Thanks in part to B.G. Mitchell of Farmers Connection. If you've not put your hands on a copy recently, I highly recommend it. 
Farmers Connection is a newsprint magazine with information and ads from suppliers and dealers right here in the Carolinas and Southern Virginia. Check out used equipment from folks like Mark Chesson and Sons in Williamson, Caps Trailers in Dover, Keenansville Equipment, Acock Equipment, Elm City Equipment, Robertson Equipment in Colerain, and Premier Equipment in Rocky Mount, Enfield, Washington, and Aden. The Farmers Connection, online and available at independent farm equipment dealers throughout our state. This is Ag and NC. Thanks in part to the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC, North Carolina's official marketing program for agriculture. More than agriculture, it's got to be NC. Patrick Ford, part of the family that started Bone Suck and Rib Sauce. That's today's story on agriculture in North Carolina. And normally we start the program, as you all know, getting a little background about the person we're talking to and the company they represent. But I thought, Patrick, maybe... We'll start with a lightning round. So quick questions, give me your quick answers. And that'll get us all up to speed on the characters in our story. So here we go. All right. Who is Sandy? Sandy is my mom and the one who named Bone Sucking Sauce. Who's Lynn? Lynn is my father, and he's the one that does all the inbound and uh, all the plant recipes and um, all the logistics side of it and uh, packaging and all that. Who is Phil, and how's he relate to Lynn? Okay, Phil is Lynn's brother, so my Uncle Philip, and he is the one that back in the 80s was always cooking for family reunions and family events and tried to copy my grandmother's recipe, my dad's and my uncle's mom's, and did a better job. And so that's where Bone Sucking Sauce came from. I've got to ask you a question I don't know the answer to, so this is sort of like Jeopardy. Who is Grandma? Well, we got two different grandmas in the situation here. we got my Grandma Ford. And that was the one that had the barbecue sauce that my uncle was always trying to copy and eventually made it better. And then my mom's mom, my grandma on that side, is who my mom thought about when she thought the product was so good that it made her want to suck the bones because her mom sucked the bones. Um, and so she came up with bone sucking sauce <laughs> to name that sauce. Hey, were your family big into barbecues? Was there somebody who's raising hogs in the family somewhere? How, how, how did your intimate uh, acquaintance with pork take place? My grandfather, my dad's dad, always was had a big pit in the backyard um, that he made out of center block and uh, had welded at the old international dealership um, <laughs> for the church. So they would cook chickens and stuff like that. So my dad and his brothers grew up and his sister grew up you know, with them barbecuing. And then my mom's side, her granddad, was always uh, barbecuing and um, raising animals and stuff like that. So they both came from that in their background. All right, so now that we know all the players, kind of give us the history of uh, how Phil Ford started with it. What was his A job, by the way? He was an appraiser and a builder. Back in 87, He was. we would have a lot of uh, family reunions. We'd be under the carport with the fans going and the ice cream machine. I can still hear it. And uh, he'd be out there with the, uh, you know, the big pig cooker, the one willing to cook and have the sauce. So his deal was not to bring something to market or even do anything with it other than just try to get his mother's recipe just right. But your mom, Sandy Ford, actually, she had like a fancy food business in Raleigh? Yeah, and I'm talking to you from that place right now. Let's go back. My mom had a gift basket business for fruit baskets because our, our business was Ford's Produce and still is. And so mom set up a shelf in the back of dad's produce office and would make fruit baskets. And so that developed into my parents saying, hey, you know what? Let's have a place where people can buy North Carolina items, just North Carolina stuff. Let's get everything from the mountains to the coast. Let's bring it together, and we'll have a North Carolina store. So 
So they did one here at the farmer's market where we're at in Raleigh, and then they opened one at RDU Airport. And so they were just doing these North Carolina items. They'd go to Calabash and said, hey, you guys need a good cocktail sauce. So they got them to do a cocktail sauce. They went to Lexington and said, we need some barbecue sauce from you guys to bring to the market. So they, they went all over the state and had all these people making stuff and would resell it to tourists and people that lived here that wanted local items. But what was that store called? Was it like the Carolina store? Yeah, the North Carolina store is the first one. And we had almost a 1,000 items. They had those, and then my mom was like, my mom and dad were like, let's take this product, the sauce, and let's sell it in our stores. We already have the place to to showcase it and sell it. Let's bottle it and let's sell it. And we'll come up with a name, and Philip liked the name, and and then uh, they did the Battle of the Sauces and won the Battle of the Sauces in 94, and that was kind of the foothold for getting it going. So how does a product go from Uncle Phil's barbecue sauce into something branded, into something that uh, you've got a recipe that's bulletproof, you guys, I assume, went to a co-packer. Get us to that point, and then we'll move to the next phase. Okay, yeah. So uh, Mom and Dad went down and talked to John Quinn, and he was in Rayford at the time. And Mr. Quinn had been the bottling plant manager for Winn-Dixie down in Jacksonville. And he'd come to North Carolina and set up a co-packing facility in Rayford. And they went down there, and it was a really small operation, and, and talked to Mr. Quinn, and Mr. Quinn helped them get it into a bottle. They went to Dr. John Russian at NC State and said, we need a nutritional panel. And NC State was really just so nice in helping them as well. They ordered 100 cases from Mr. Quinn, and Mr. Quinn brought them 50 cases. And my dad said, why 50? And he said, well, I've seen so many of these fail. I just hate to see you lose your money. And my dad said, if we can't sell 100 cases, we don't need to be in the business. <laughs> you have little faith. And so and then, uh, my mom had a friend draw the label. And it was very uh, basic at the time. And you still using a version of that label now? Yeah, well, it's as we've grown and adapted, we use actual typeset, you know, real fonts now and things like that. But we still have one of those jars here in the uh, office in plastic uh, on the shelf, just as a reminder of where it's come from and where we're going. Now we've got a co-packer. We've got a brand. We've got a label on the product. It's jarred and ready to go. We've got 50 cases with 50 more soon to come. And is there an insurance deal that's got to be handled for home bait, or I should say commercial based products such as this? Yeah, you're going to want some product liability insurance. And uh, we had a real good uh, connection with uh, Bradshaw and Bunn in Raleigh. They had done my, our business insurance, my grandparents' business insurance. They were really uh, easy to deal with. But yeah, just set up some product liability insurance just in case somebody ever, you know, heaven forbid something happened. But you're going to want that too. And so with that in place and us having the stores and my brother went to school at Appalachian State, so he was he started a catering business up there, so he was catering and sharing it with people in the mountains and I went to school down in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh so I would take the product down there and uh got the the city market there to agree to sell it, a lady there. If I took her daughter to the dentist, she would uh she would bring our product in. So I did. I thought you were gonna say like, sure. prom. <laughs> yeah, well, I was surprised too, but we needed, you know, we needed to get the word out. We figured places like, you know, tourist places, people would go back home and then they would want the product and then it would help it grow. So we'd go into Charleston or Boone or wherever in the mountains or coming through RDU Airport, people would go back home and then they would want the product. And what? my mom had this wonderful idea of let's let them go to their favorite store and ask them to bring it in instead what? of sell it to them cheap on the road. I'm Dan Miller, and we're chatting with Patrick Ford of Ford's Gourmet Foods, headquartered out of Raleigh, specifically talking about how they got Carolina Bone Sucking Sauce started.
as you look back at the growth of the company for really much of your lifetime, is there one particular turning point? I think when we were starting with it, brand didn't exist. So everywhere we went, it was new. No one had heard of it. But once you went back into a place and they they knew the product, they trusted the product, they believed in the product, they knew it was consistent, I think that was one of the big things for us. When it actually had legs and it started moving and it was moving off the shelf and people wanted more of it. The product itself has to speak for itself and the label has to be something that people catches their eye because you obviously have one to two seconds when they walk past it. And then the product has to stand up to what the promise on the label is over and over and over. We still haven't hit that tipping point as far as we're concerned as the final one. Bone sucking sauce has existed for now over 30 years. That's crazy. And <laughs> and you've extended the brand a bit. So tell us about some of the other items involved in the, in, in the array of products that are now attributed to the bone sucking brand. Interesting. Uh, the lady in Charleston, the Smalls, uh, would sell you know two jars to people, and she'd say one was hot and one was regular. But at that time, we didn't have a hot. We found out she was selling a hot, but we didn't have one yet. So we decided we need to make her an honest woman, so we'll, we'll go ahead and come out with a hot. We branched out from our one and only product to a hot version of that product. And then uh, the mustard came along and our teriyaki. And then we got into the seasoning side of it because, obviously, with pork and stuff like that, seasoning makes it even better. So we did branched out into steak rubs, and now an all-purpose rub is our newest item, a hot sauce. You know, people were like, we love your flavor. We just want it really hot. So the UPS man at the time was the only one that we knew of that could eat really hot foods. And so when he'd come by in the afternoons to pick up, we started asking, hey, do you mind trying this hot sauce while you're here? And then finally, he turned around and he hiccuped. And he said, you got it. And we're like, we got what? And he's like, it's hot enough to make me hiccup. He said, that's how you know a product's hot, but it makes someone hiccup. And so we named it Hiccup and Hot Sauce after our UPS guy. Not everybody does that, but I'm one of those that does it too. That's awesome. Well, that was news to us. So it's taken the whole community to help us grow it and keep growing all these different flavors. When we do expand, it's got to be something not only so great that people will buy it, they'll buy it again, but they'll have to replace something sometimes they're already buying, so we'll have to switch them over. Mm-hmm. So we can't just come out with an item just to come out with an item. It's got to be so stellar that we fully believe in it, that we're using it at home. All our people here like it because our, our group here, all of our team members are our focus group. So everybody here you know, gets to try everything. And one of the most disappointing things is when we wrap up a recipe and we're done cooking for that, that item because then everybody's like, oh, man, <laughs> like, yeah, sorry, it's done. we got to wait till we come out with something else. Was that mustard sauce a South Carolina thing? Sounds it. Yeah. Yeah, yellow mustard is, is a South Carolina barbecue, but this one came from North Carolina. But, I mean, you grew up with this, basically. So as you look back at the 30 years, if you were consulting a new homespun product, what are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the – there are no shortcuts. I understand that. But uh, what advice would you give? You're going to fail and be okay with that and keep trying. We have a shelf here in the office of all the items that didn't make it. You know, that we thought were going to be the best new thing. Take it slow, move at the speed of cash so you can actually afford to do it and don't get yourself in over your head. And be careful working with bigger, the bigger the retailer, the more the paperwork, the more the chance that it's going to get you into some things that you're not going to be okay with, the variables that are not okay. Some of these bigger stores are going to ask for credit. They're going to ask for longer terms and things like that. Um, so you got to be really careful with that. You know, one thing that helped us too was the Department of Agriculture with the Goodness Grows program. 
they were really great about helping us get the word out. So that, that is a tremendous program for North Carolinians. You'll see it on the back of our jars. The Flavors Show, things like that, are really great at getting products out. And they have groups that come to North Carolina. You know, you can come and meet with those buyers. So that's another thing that doesn't cost anything or costs very little. And also the specialty food, North Carolina Specialty Food Group. My mom was one of the co-founders of that. That is also a very inexpensive way to get in front of a lot of people and also have some people around you doing like things and bounce a lot of ideas off of. How do you deal with distribution? Many different ways. Some stores we go direct to. Some we go through a distributor to go to that store. Small mom and pops that order UPS, and then um, some small mom and pops like to go through a distributor. So we have several distributors. North Carolina has Alan Bundy at B&B and also Joe Hyde at Hyde Distribution that are two great distributors based here in North Carolina that go to a lot of the stores that you see from the big ones to the farm stands. Chatting with Patrick Ford of Bone Sucking Sauce, a Carolina original product. Do you have a final word of advice for somebody who's got a great farm product that they want to get on the market? Huh. It's really important that people believe in what they do and enjoy what they do and don't let feedback change the direction they're going if they fully believe in that. You have to be willing to go out and do it over and over and over again and enjoy it. Because even with what we do, the, the amount of cooking, the amount of traitors, I'm going to Philadelphia the week after next to keep pushing it. I mean, it's got to be something you have to keep doing over and over and really enjoy doing it. So we just keep on it. But it's always learning. I mean, especially working out of the country. There's a, every, every country is different and all the laws change all the time. But if you're wanting to learn and enjoy learning and staying up to date on you know things like that, and also it's a barrier to a lot of people, so it means if you're willing to do it, it's a wide-open place. Is the majority of folks at the top still family? Oh, yeah. It's my mom sits next to me, my dad and my brother in the office next door. But, yeah, we're highly competitive, the four of us, and we meet every uh, every Wednesday and talk about it. As they say, working with family is a blessing. It really is. And a curse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Which I think it's such a blessing. Um, my parents were very clear with my brother and I coming into the business, you know, and it, to be unclear is to be unkind. And so everything was in black and white, and it was very well laid out. If we wanted to come in, they told us this is our dream. It may not be yours. And if not, great. Go do what you want. We love you. We'll support you. But if you're going to do this with us and the family, it's going to be this way. Great message for farm families. To be unclear is to be unkind. That's that's awesome. Patrick Ford, enjoy talking to you and uh, enjoy the family product personally. Dan, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking time to hang out with me, and thank you for what you do. Coming up in just a moment, we'll check out last week's commodity numbers week over week on Ag NC. Thanks in part to Donna Byram with First Choice Insurance Partners. As a matter of fact, Donna Byram called me at breakfast this week to talk about a few things. I asked her about cattle insurance, and she said they're writing more of it than ever. So at some point in the not-too-distant future, we'll get up with her and chat about it. Call Donna yourself at 252 752- 792-1189. Let her protect your yield so you can stay in the field. Checking commodity prices last week. October live cattle futures fell Friday, ending the week at 183.22 and a half, posting a loss of $2.07. October feeder cattle futures hit a contract high on Friday and closed at 259.15. For the week, October feeders rose $4.50. This holiday shortened week was a good one for cattle future bulls. Thursday's sizable drop in pork cutouts undercut the hog futures market on Friday. 
Nearby October contract led the way lower, 82.52 and a half to end the week. Closing price represented a weekly drop of $1.52.5. Despite the port complex's sometime history of rallying from early September to mid-October, hog futures sagged this past week. North Carolina egg prices were steady on small, higher on the balance when compared to the prior week. North Carolina weighted average price for Thursday, September 7th, for small lot sales of delivered carton grade A eggs, one ninety two seventy nine for extra large, one seventy eight ninety two for large, one thirty three oh nine for medium, and ninety two dollars for small eggs. Number two yellow shelled corn was two to ten cents lower when compared to the prior week. Prices ranged mostly four ninety seven to five thirty one at the feed mills and five sixteen to five forty one at the elevators through Thursday, September the seventh. Number one yellow soybeans were nine to thirty cents lower, ranged fourteen forty nine to fourteen sixty six at the processors, mostly thirteen sixty, thirteen seventy six at the elevators. Number two red winter wheat was no price comparison from the prior week. This past week it ranged four ninety two to five eighty four at the elevators. Soybean meal FOB at processing plants was four seventy one forty to four seventy seven seventy per ton, forty six and a half to forty eight percent protein. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery soybeans were twelve ninety four to thirteen seventy one. Nothing ruins a tasty vegetable like a hungry insect. That's why you need Besiege Insecticide with fast knockdown and residual control. It protects your crops from worms and other pests. Learn more about Besiege Insecticide from your Syngenta field rep. As always, read and follow label instructions. And that's this week's Agriculture in North Carolina. Listen to the program on Talk 96.3 or 103.7, Mondays at 6.30 in the morning or 6 o'clock at night. I say at night because it's starting to get darker earlier. You also can subscribe to the longer podcast version free on Apple or Spotify or download the IBX Media app. Details on all that on our website, like our sponsors, Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. By the way, the Mountain State Fair just opened. Agriculture in North Carolina, copyright 2023, Interbanks Media. For Jeff Turner, myself, Dan Miller, make it a great week.